You have to eat the dream. You have to sleep the dream. You have to dream the dream. You got to touch. You have to see it when nobody else sees it. You have to feel it when it's not tangible. You have to believe it when you cannot see it. You got to be possessed with the dream. The dream. Yeah. What's up, guys, and welcome to Straight From The Chess Podcast. My name is Justin Groth, and I am your host on this personal development, personal growth podcast, and I'm so excited you're here for it. Listen, if this is your first time listening, tuning in, thank you for being here. I just want to welcome you, and if this is your 200th time tuning back in, thank you for joining us yet again. Your constant listenership means a lot to me, and I just want to predicate that in the forefront here because you mean a lot to me. Everything that you, your time, your energy, all of it, it's just I'm so grateful for. Listen, if this is a podcast you derive value from, I always say this, please, please, please do not hesitate to share it with somebody. Share it on your own Instagram platforms, Facebook, Twitter, anything just to generate more awareness, the guests we have, and just to just to propagate the podcast in and of itself. It would just mean a lot to me and I thank you in advance for that. Oh, by the way, my Instagram handle is Justin Craig Groth if you'd like to tag me straight from the chess podcast. So thank you in advance. So we have a guest for you today. She is a very, very, very good friend of mine from way back in the day. Brittany, thanks for being here. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Uh, it's been a long time, right? Yes, it has. And thank you so much for having me. This is an honor, a blessing, and a privilege. Oh, I appreciate that. So I just want to real quick tell the listeners who you are. Well, that is a multifaceted answer. We love it because we've got a lot of time. <laughs> who are any of us? Who are we? <laughs> no. Um, you know, I am a woman. I say that with integrity. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I say that with honor. And I am just a person trying to figure out one day at a time, which genuinely can be the most baffling experience that I face. Well, our relationship goes back pretty far. We knew each other since... um, what was it? 17, 18, 19, somewhere 19, I think. I think yes. I met you at 19. And during that stage, uh, there was, um, it was a loss of identity for myself. I didn't know what or who the fuck I was. And I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And without going into detail about that, and and by the way, listeners, if you want to know what this is pertain, what this what I'm talking about here, go back to episode one, because I talk about it in episode one. But anyways, uh, moving forward, look, your, you know, I always say this because nowadays it's really hard to find a woman that's not modernized, and it's. They're more, and I, I say that because in my family, I grew up in a traditional style family and I saw traditional morals and values instilled in the family dynamic. And so when I go out to the world and look for that now, it's very hard to find. More often than not, as men, we find women that are just combative 
disagreeable, manipulative, uh, independent, and I say that in air quotes, because maybe because of the guys that they've messed with, they've had to be that way because the guys that they mess with are, are not moral or high value, but it bleeds off into the good men. And I'm not saying that I'm such a good man because I have my faults, but it does bleed off into good men that perhaps have higher values, moral standards, ethics, etc., And they don't want to fucking deal with it. They're just not going to deal with it. And I look back at our relationship and how you moved as a young 19 year old. And I just, at that age, you were more of a woman than a lot of women that I know today. And I only recognize it now because I've contended with a lot of women thus far in my life at 37. So how did you, I guess, how did you even become that type of woman? And don't just say because of God, because I know you're very spiritual, very, and, and so am I, but there's more to the picture and you've had a long history with your own pursuits of becoming a solo artist. And I want you to talk about that because I know there are people that have their own pursuits and even females that are listening. Listen, females, you might not like what I have to say about how men view if you're this type of caliber woman, but this is how they view you. They do not want to deal with that type of woman. And the reason why is because men are created to be providers and protectors. If you provide for yourself and you've indoctrinated all of the characteristics that come along with providing for yourself, that is what we call masculine, being in your masculine presence. And that's not something that we want to adopt. I'll give you a reason. I'll give you a a scenario here. If you were to meet a man online and you were to say all the right things through messenger and then you meet him in real life and he is a scrawny 150 pound five foot 11 nothing of a man no no stout in his posture and he actually practiced ballet quite frequently and liked to wear tutus around the house. Would you look at that man as you can be a potential provider and protector for me? I want to call on your name when I hear something in the night because I want you to go out and confront it. No. No. So same applies to a man. If I am if I am exchanging conversation with a woman and then I meet her and she's disagreeable combative, not inspiring, not supportive. Do you think that I want to marry that? Do you think that I want to have an agreement with that woman for the rest of my life? Absolutely not. So I know this strikes you, but here's the thing. I want to take care of a dove. I don't want to take care of a caged tarantula. Mm -hmm. And that's effectively what women are nowadays. If you're in your masculine energy, no man 
wants to take care of a tarantula. They want to nurture and care and protect and provide for a dove. So moving forward, how did you come into that? Were you raised that way? And, and, and then I want to let you kind of segue into your, on your own to your, to your artistry. So I was raised in what I now can really define as consistent chaos. And I say that because I came from a broken home, parents who are very loving. My mother and my father are both beautiful souls. They are dedicated human beings. They do so much for others, but they were entrapped. And to touch on what you said about the dove and the tarantula, if you treat either in a certain way, they end up in cages. And that is the furthest thing from where people should be. But we have a society that continues and will continue to entrap us. Um, the masculine or over-masculinated female, that's not a real woman. I don't even bash, I, I don't feel bashful, I should say, when I say that out loud. Because that is a societal archetype that's been created to what I believe is um, dissuade and confuse people from what is a more natural desire to cohabitate in a family type relationship. And I do love the Lord and that is not why I'm a woman of my caliber in full. I love people. And when you experience people in a very true and real way, you're taking in parts of who they are and then you're weighing it back against who you are. And maybe that's off saying, like maybe that's not everyone's experience, but that has genuinely been my experience. We didn't have a lot as far as money. My dad was a really hard worker. My mom kind of lived a faster, more party lifestyle and was engaged in lots of friends um, but I had all these people around me and I have always been a singer, believe it or not, like at three years old, I've got a broom, I'm on a back wood porch and the song of choice was, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. And I could still sing that song cause I just love it. But music was probably a part of a natural innate place and an escape all at the same time. And my mom's friends would always give me this attention, attention, attention. And attention can be bad or good. We're loaded with it nowadays. It is so rampant, this whole falsified attention that people are soliciting themselves constantly, especially online, to get this attention. But what they don't understand is it's coming from a place of not realizing who you are. You're grasping and reaching for other people to see you, but you don't even see yourself. It's very confusing. And to draw back to that over-masculinated woman or female, they think that the power of a man should be theirs. No, those are different powers. A man should be a provider and not all of them are. In fact, they're equally kind of bombarded by this societal confusion that's going on. And it comes at us on all levels. It comes through social media. It comes through media. It comes through peers. But if your source of figuring out 
those things about yourself are any of those outlets, you're already at a loss. None of those outlets can give you real truth. It's all going to be a skewed to the person or the platform. You're not getting real, true feeding of your spirit or your body or your mind. And I think collectively that, that three front, your spirit, your body, and your mind is what's most important. I remember being at a Sizzler restaurant that actually, funny enough, was right over here in Arroyo oh, I Grande. Sizzler. I love Sizzler. And that was like the treat, right? To go mm-hmm. to the buffet mm-hmm. because we're we're eating whatever crap they put on the aisles in the grocery store that's cheapest of cheap, right? Cornflakes. I remember having coco maiz, which is like chocolate cornflakes. <laughs> and... You know, I used to glutton myself at the smorgasbord because it was just this plethora of all these foods that weren't always there. And you get so excited to have the fruit and the salad and the chicken and the ice cream. And I would always put my napkin in my lap and I would sit up straight and I would get teased by my older sister. I love you, older sister. And my stepsister, because I was trying to be too proper you're you're that's not you why because I'm poor that doesn't mean I can't be a lady when I step out into society and I was maybe like 10 who taught you that I think I probably garnered that from God, I'd have to say maybe my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, maybe. I don't know that it was taught to me definitively, but when you want to take in all these elements of life, there were certain dinners that my maternal grandmother would have. She liked to be fancy and she was fancy. She married that way. And not to knock her. She was one of, she she was definitely very poor, had to deal with, um, had to deal with traveling from like Iowa. They were apple farmers and she grew up poor. And I really, I don't know this for a fact, but I think she made up her mind as a woman that she was not going to be poor. That there was no way that she was going to be without the things that make life comfortable. And so she had these marriages and some of them were with military men. And probably most of them were unhealthy. Probably most of them. She was the kind of woman that you weren't going to tell her shit. But she was in an era that I believe it was a survival mechanism for her. And after surviving these relationships that were very damaging to her, I think she gave up on love. I think she, again, wanted to have provisional comfort. That may have been a portion, but not the full aspect of wanting to present myself as a lady, being a lady. Wanting to know that that had a prominence and importance in the world. That seems innate to you then. That seems just the way you're wired. 
and everything biologically, chemically tells you to act and move in this way, right? I mean, that's, that's essentially the only thing that we can dwindle this down to because you were, you had some role models to some degree, but it wasn't to the extent that you took it or you were, you, you, yeah. you take, you, you took it. Yeah. Definitely. Took in. Is not a word, is it? Took tookin? My <laughs> mom, my mom always, my mom always mookin tookin. Yes, I used to always say tookin, and my mom says that's not a word. <laughs> and I still to this day, I think, uh, is that a word or took? Because my mom's got me skewed now, and think so. Took is a word. Yes. Okay, gosh, I funner can't believe, is not a word. I can't. Funner is a word. <laughs> funner is a word. It's way more funner. <laughs> way more funner. It would be appropriately. That is much more fun. Yeah, but that sounds dumb. I agree. I don't want to say it that way. See, where were you all my life when I got teased over saying the word funner? It's like funner. A, it's funner. It's funner. Yeah, it's much more fun. Sounds like you're a, a, a geek. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> well, but. <laughs> but um, no jokes aside, I feel like most, even though when women are, I, I guess it goes in part with men too, because as boys, you, I, I always talk about this, but I'll say it again. There was a time where I would look at my dad lifting weights in the garage and think to myself, how am I going to get to that point? Because I looked at myself as not even a third of that. And and this is like when I was, I don't know, maybe 12 or something. I had this type of a thought with looking at my father lifting weights and, and bench pressing and curling in his garage. And I'm like thinking, how am I going to get to that size? But like, nobody told me I had to get there. My mom never told me, my dad never said, Justin, you got to get bigger. You got to lift weights. And Never. It was just, this is something that I imparted on myself for no reason. I just, and I can't help but think that is just pre, pre-wired in me and, and, and every chemical in my body or, or rather says gravitate to that. And for good reason, it should, you don't, and, and for the reason why Women, and I'm going to, I'm going to box men and women up, but fuck it. (laughs) Women don't want a pussy boy, right? Right. Just like I don't want a manly woman, but there are people that exist that love manly women. And there are people that exist that love pussy boys. It happens. There are unicorns that are, <laughs> you can laugh. It's fun. You're covering, she's covering her mouth. She doesn't want to, but anyways, that's the thing. It's like, and I don't want to make this podcast about that, but it is glaring. So, you know, we talk about it because as a title is stated straight from the chest. Mm. So I just feel like, um, I just feel like. It's not getting better and it's getting worse. Agreed. And and it's probably, it's not all the women's fault. It's not all the men's fault. But I understand women have to do what they have to do. And there are a lot of women that I respect and admire and actually really like that resort to things that, you know, us as men would deem not appropriate. 
but they do it because they have to provide for their fan, their kids. You know, they have to, they have to, they have to do the, they don't have to, but sometimes they partake in the OnlyFans. All right. They do the OnlyFans and I know where their head's at. And these are good women. Like I love these women. Like I like, I, I, I have an affinity for them in the way that they are because they're sweet and they're genuine to me. But doing that, it's like, okay. And I just, I just, I just have to turn my eye to it because I know why you're doing it. And I'm not saying it's not noble, but at the same time, I'm saying you could do other nobler things. And I know you're just providing. I know that's the way you look at it. And it's just modeling. I understand. But, well, I guess no, but I don't really, I don't, it's like, I I guess the way I see this is if I was a man coming into a relationship with you, didn't know you and found out that you did this, it would set a tone for me. And I wouldn't get to know all the great things about you afterward, after the OnlyFans. You know what I mean? Because I just be so fogged by the OnlyFans or by the fact that you strip or do porn or whatever that it's like I can't get there now because I didn't know you before the OnlyFans, the porn, the stripping. And so that clouds my judgment of you. And I know you're better. I know not that you're... Just better than that, but I know that you're doing it because it's a it's a means, a provision, and you don't have a second income to help out. Which, if you had a second income, answer this question: If you women that do this sort of thing, if you had a second income with a man that you loved, and you guys were married, would you still tell go to him and say, you know what, honey, I think I want to do an OnlyFans account? And what's that, honey? Um, it's just where I, you know, show, show, show things. Yeah. Show all of it. And, and are you okay with that? Or I want to do, I want to get into porn because they make good money per, per scene. And that could add a, a lot. Thousand. To, yeah. That could add to our household, honey. And what do you think about that? Do you think that he would be okay with that? I'm going to go on a limb and say, probably not. Cause he doesn't want to share his woman. Right. Okay. But anyway, I mean, I don't want to, like I said, because there are women that I really respect and that I like that, that partake in that sort of thing. And I, they're just great women and I don't want to, so I don't want to put a pejorative on them, but that's why I pose that question. So I would say this, and, and this is how I've led my life, even with what I deem is my musical talent. Is there a compromise? And if there's a compromise, what is the compromise? See, I think for some women, there's not a real compromise because they like the attention. The attention plus the money is super gratifying. Um, I think there's another side to it that the compromise is justifying it by saying, well, it's money. I need to make money for X, Y, and Z. Okay. Mm-hmm. These are all just perspectives, but where's the truth in it? I have a line in one of my songs that basically it says, I don't want to get mind fucked by anybody who could watch me. There is power in that. And I think we mistake true power for exploitation. 
There are these women online everywhere. You don't even have to go to OnlyFans. You can go to Instagram and you can see all the TNA and near nakedness you could stomach. And I come from a place of, I've already, I was exposed to this kind of stuff at a very young age. At three, four. I was looking at Play, Playboy and Playgirl magazines. Now a huge controversy in the media, mind you. But where was this controversy for all the years of Hugh Hefner's rain? Rain. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Right. And so it's interesting where, yes, like, and I haven't watched this new documentary. I actually got invited to um, the annual picnic. There's like Playboy annual picnic. Thank you. That's I, I, I honestly esteem that being the caliber of woman that I am and having faced that threshold, I almost did choose it. 25 grand, 25 grand to put myself on a paper naked. And I had to take 10 steps back. I had to think about my dad. I had to think about the future of the love that I wanted to have with a man. And I had to say, but what kind of woman does that make me if I will exploit my nakedness, my body, a very, not, sorry, not saying my body is very beautiful, but a woman's body is very beautiful. And I'm going to turn that over to the masses for money. Now I was manipulated into doing a newsletter photo shoot once the company I worked for and I say manipulated because I was coerced into it it wasn't just me making this decision oh I want to do this I was baited with money that's how we women are usually treated here here's some money and I took some photos with very one of the people is closest and and dear to my heart no names but somewhere out there I'm wrapped in a pink sheet with some platinum blonde hair because that money I needed it I I really needed it I lived on my own I came from struggle I wanted a certain stability and that 150 or 200 dollars seemed like okay I'll make this choice I'll do it Crossed another threshold, being a ring girl for the WEC. It was a, before it was UFC, it was WEC. Let me tell you, there's a lot of ways to make money in this world. Some of them will cost you a certain part of your inner being that says, I don't need to sell myself for this. That ring girl event didn't do that. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, It was good money for all of 15 minutes of my life holding up a sign and shaking my bum. It was like, again, $150 seems to be the going number. But the reality is, what is money worth? What is it worth at the end of the day to make choices that will or won't go against your morals? Well, it's freedom, right? Money is freedom. And the more you have of it the less you need to depend on other people that's true and so that's that's where i think women are are coming into their independence in air quotes not that you shouldn't be independent women but 
the the man that you seek and desire doesn't give a shit about your business doesn't care about what you're trying to build doesn't care about any he wants you to build with him his legacy and that can seem controlling i get it but that's how it's been for ages that's how we got here that's how our civilization manifested into what or materialized rather to what it is so I know you think that's a that's a positive when you're doing things you're going when you're going to college getting in lots of debt by the way and going and trying to start businesses and doing this and it's like yes it's like on one end of the spectrum you're you're ambitious you're just you're 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 disciplined you're structured to be able to do that but if the end goal is to have a family and to be married to a to a very loyal and valuable man, we don't give a shit about that. We don't care how much money you make. None of that matters. And none of it should matter to a real valuable man. If a man on the other end of the spectrum, if a man is mooching off of you, well, we don't call that a man. We call that a fuck boy. That's what we call that guy because more often than not, he's probably just with you to fuck you. And so real men move in the way that they are marriage minded and they want to inevitably the outcome to be marriage. Marriage is not going to happen if you're with a specific type of valuable or desirable man that you look for, which we've kind of already displayed the archetype. If you seek out that man that man is not going to put up with all of the components that make up an independent woman. And then you don't get that man that you want. It's an equation at the end of the day. And it's never been anything different. The only reason why things happened more seamlessly back when we had, or you know, back in the I don't know, 30s, 40s and such, was because women were not introduced to the workforce. And so now women are, since that time, I don't know the exact year that they were introduced to the workforce, but when men went off to war, women had to work to obviously provide for the household. But before then, and even even in that time bracket, like when men got back from war and things kind of went back to normal, well, some women didn't and they liked that and they kept going in that regard and Anyways, we're not going to have a you know a history lesson here. I just we're on the topic, so we might as well dispense with it. And well, now I'm lost. I don't know where the oh, fuck. So I'm, I don't know where that got. I don't know why I went on that that uh, that tangent. I'd love to just say, real real men. Okay, I've known a lot of men, or you know, males. Real men are rare. It's a rare breed. There's the hunter that wants to take over women, and they're usually just sexually minded. Um, they look for prey. Narcissists. They they, they want a weak person to take and and to control and to manipulate. That's not a real man. When you describe a man, it's like the epitome of what I think any real strong woman and I say strong as in 
you're kind of aware of yourself. You have this kind of um, desire for certain things in the world that don't equate to money. Money is a very weak component. Yes, it it could provide you freedom or it could not. I know a lot of women who choose to marry or find money. They don't stay married Mm. because it's a weak component. When you're dealing with a person and certain strengths of intentions, morals, who they are, then you have something to work with there, even if they may not be every single thing you sit here and fantasize about wanting, which I don't even play that game. That's a game. But if you're really wanting to have a good, strong man, a provider, a person that really at the end of the day wants to do their best by you, you shouldn't be thinking about money. You should be thinking about the things about your own self and what that is that you will bring to a relationship table. Will you be there when the chips fall? Would you encourage them when they're at their worst? Would you allow them to get to their best? There's a lot of competitive nature to both women and men. I didn't understand that. I didn't I didn't grow up being a, a competitive person. I didn't grow up in the sports zone. So I didn't really know what that was until I met my, I don't even know what to call him, <laughs> the father of my daughters. And it was the opposite for him. There was a constant competition. I will say that our relationship served to make both of us better in different ways. But I had a desire to marry and have a forever love that that person would be that person. I want to be there for you no matter what and strengthen you in ways that you may not be able to strengthen yourself, give of myself so that you have the best parts of me. Again, no money. That's not going to fix any real part of a person or make them better. Yeah, it's true. I mean, they can buy more things and they can give away more money, which means that that's obviously going to be rewarding to them when they give money away, when they, you know, help out in people in need. But you're right. I mean, money is only surface. It's just going to take care of surface things. And I mean, there are a lot of people that I don't know any multi multi-millionaires personally but i've heard a lot of multi-millionaires talk about other multi multi-millionaires and them being um just the most depressed and lowly lowly type of person that they know and it's like and you would never think that because and obviously they don't say names or anything but you're thinking, how can you feel that as a somebody on the outside that doesn't have that type of money? You think, how can you feel that way? And really, I mean, I guess we'll never know unless we venture into that type of that type of accrual of, of wealth. But it's it doesn't seem like it would be untrue, especially when you have the fame that comes along with the money or the rather the attention or the demand or the responsibility. Cause either way you cut it, 
whether you're Drake or you're the CEO of a, of a huge corporation, you have a lot of attention on you and you're called and pulled in different directions. And so that requires you to coordinate your life in such a way, orchestrate things in a way that, that derives structure and, and trying to find balance, fucking good luck. Mm. And then that's diminishing on quality of life. And then you probably have people that are coming to you and in, in very, I would say disingenuous ways because they know how much pie you have and they want a piece of that pie. And so it's like, you always have to be on the lookout, so to speak. I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing things out there, but I would imagine that that is kind of how it is. And who wants to live that way? Not you know, I. it's, it might be seemingly beautiful from the outside, but then when you step inside, you're like, this is uh, not what I thought. And there's a, there's a, there's a saying, not a saying, it's not even, I'm not even going to give this person that credit. It's not a saying. He has said this before. There's a, there's a wealthy, wealthy entrepreneur that once said the reason why, the reason why the P the people that say it's not all about money are poor. And it's the reason, and that's the reason why they say it. it's because they're poor. They don't know what, and this is coming from, a multi multimillionaire, someone who makes, I don't know, probably well uh, north of a million dollars a month. So it's like, and, and that's just in one company. He has multiple companies. So it's like, and I don't like this person, a particular, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't say don't like, I don't gravitate towards this person's ideologies or the way that they run their themselves, their ethics, etc. But um, why would you say that? You know, it's like that. Is that is that just you being putting on a facade and trying to be big dog here, or is that like really what you think? And that if that's the case, that might be kind of kind of myopic to some degree. I think there's some relevance to that truth, right? There's some relevance there, but either poor or ultra wealthy, it doesn't negate that you have something the other doesn't the poor person could have much more than the wealthy person and that's where i think our world has tangibles and intangibles and something i had to learn a strong lesson about very strong recently is the intangibles far outweigh the tangibles I'm fairly young. I'm not young, young. I'm 39. It's like a midway point. (laughs) I don't have a whole lot, but I have a work ethic. I have a work history. I have family. I have love. I have daughters. And you couldn't pay me enough money to change any of those things. Do I hope to have some kind of better financial stability in my future? 100%. Yes. I'm willing to work for that though. I'm willing to figure out what it takes to attain that. And I surely do not intend and would not want that off the back of anybody else. And that is something that all the money in the world couldn't buy either. I could probably go hunt online for some rich guy to have an easy paycheck. 
That is disgusting to me. That to me would be hell. Because again, we come to that compromise. What would it be compromising? I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the wealthiest person in the world. And I don't want to be the poorest person in the world. I don't want mediocrity. Well, mediocrity is relevant to the to the person. You know, some people believe mediocrity is the standard $41,000 a year. Uh, or for that's for black males. For white males, it's 51, I believe. Or it might be 42 for, for black males men and 51 or 52 for white men but some people look at that as mediocrity other people would look at mediocrity like barely like they make they break six figures you know i mean this is all kind of subjective to the person at the end of the day and what your standard of yourself is and what you want it to be essentially so i mean mediocrity to me looks like working a nine to five that you're not happy in just making a paycheck clocking in clocking out no real desires or ambitions no real pursuits of any kind just kind of groundhog day every day and groundhog day is fine let me let me preface groundhog day is fine if there's something that you're working onto. you need groundhog days before you hit the jackpot so to speak. I'm not saying you're all going to hit the jackpot here, even if you have a, a pursuit that you're after, but more often than not, consistency is the only potentiator in any human's growth. And so if you don't have the consistency, then you're likely not going to see the growth. Right. And that's the reason why I, I say that. So, um, but the mediocrity part sometimes can look good to people that are on a trajectory that is demanding, very demanding of themselves. Cause then it's, it makes him think like, well, I just, I could be normal. He's just like, and I'm not, not again, not trying to be disparaging here to people that work nine to fives, but that is the norm. I mean, it's, that is a, a resounding norm. I, I don't need to, to say it any other way. doesn't mean it's a, a bad norm. It's just, that's a norm. So, whether it's a seven to three or a nine to five, what have you, that's what tip, that's what standard, that's a standard thing. So sometimes people can look at that like that, that normalcy would be less chaotic than what I have going on right now, because what I have going on right now, even though it's chaotic and it's in pursuit of something, I don't know if it's going to actually end up taking off. I don't know. I mean, Obviously, Jeff Bezos didn't know if Amazon was going to take off or not, but he kept plugging. And then obviously we know Amazon the way it is today. So, but that's a, that's a very drastic example to use the richest man on planet earth or second up him and Elon. But it's like, look, sometimes the mediocrity thing isn't so bad. If you have the components that make up the, the internally gratifying aspect of a human or the internal gratification of a human. What I mean by that is like you're talking about the intangibles, like 
love, relationship, family, you have your health. None of those things are compromised. Those things are of the highest wealth in regard. And I'm not saying this because I, well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that because I feel like that's something that is often disregarded or not viewed with any importance, but it's the most important thing. And you realize that when you get a call about your aunt or your, God forbid, anybody close to you that they're in the hospital, they just got in a car wreck. So when you, when you, when those things hit you like that, then you realize None of what I'm doing here, even though I have to do something because I have to make a living for myself and I have to obviously produce and etc. You realize what actually matters. And I'll give you an example today. I curved my fucking rim on the on 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 one of my cur- on the street, and I can't I couldn't believe I did it. I could not believe I've never curbed my fucking wheel ever. And it's a light curb. So it's it's not a whole, it's not a, and I can touch it up and it's not going to be a big deal. But to me, it was, it was like I broke my streak one of not curbing a wheel. And then two, I'm like, now this is, tarnished like my vehicle is like tarnished now like i don't like if i was rich i say fuck it throw it away get a new one just if i was if i was like dubai oil money i would be like fuck it trash it or at least trash the wheels i want to get new wheels you know when this is literally like a hairline nothingness but i can touch it up with black because my wheels, my wheel, my my wheels are black on the on my car, so I could just easily touch it up on the side. You wouldn't even notice. It's not big, anyways. But it's the whole situation, and and I broke my streak, man. And I got so down on myself because it's something that could have been so easily avoided. Avoided, and my mind automatically goes to blame. I'm gonna blame the reason why I curbed. My car, my wheel, was because there was, there was a, an obstruction in the lane that I was going to go into. So I instead backed up and I backed up just without thought and just, and I'm not normally vacuous, but I was in that moment and I just backed up and I started to hear my sensors go off and I'm like, oh, but there's nothing there to hit. So I just pulled forward and I'm like oh shit did I not feel that curb and I grazed the curb sure enough I got out and I did and I couldn't believe it man I was like I just was so down on myself man and then I thought and so I had to do that to get to this point 10 minutes later maybe 11 I was like I can touch it up it's nothing it'd be fine done that's life man and I know this is first world problems because we're talking about a, a wheel on a car. Most third world countries don't even have cars. Any car that they see, that's a lap of luxury. Even if it's a, a, a 94 Honda Accord, that's a lap, it's a, that's luxury to them. 
So what am I complaining about? Mm. So anyways, what I'm saying is these things don't matter at the end of the day. Even if there were to be an accident and my car get T-boned, it doesn't matter. The matter, the, the things that matter in life are like you're saying, the intangibles, the things that we actually take for granted every day. Even if you pray and you thank God for every day that you wake up and all the people in your life, you go through the day still not thinking about them being there because you are used to them being there. Right. So, um, I tend to not take it as much for granted. And I think that's because certain deaths have a high impact on your experience. So the first death I ever experienced, I was really young, 95. I was born in 82. I'll let everyone else do the math. I'm not even trying. (laughs) But my grandfather was the first person that I saw actually dead. And I remember going into the, you know, wake that they have. And I went with my dad and me and my sister, both daddy's girls. Like we have a really great dad. He's that good man, you know, and this was his father and my grandfather and I remember touching his body and I poured tears because the thing that we have inside us as people, the soul we have inside us, not only is it unique to each of us, it's very precious. It's absolutely so precious. And I think at the end of the day, the worst thing we take for granted is that, that we all have this soul. And when you experience someone you love leaving this life, you're lucky if you get to be there. Let me say that. You're lucky if you get to be there. One of my other pivotal and tremendous losses was my mom. I was studying for a criminal law class. Huge test at the end of the year coming up. Me and my sister were in the same class. We're studying together. I normally call my mom. I was interning at the time at a law office and I needed a ride the next day. She would give me that ride. And usually I'm, I'm on it. I call ahead of time. I make sure the plan is set. I don't leave everybody just hanging on my needs. I think that's a very tacky way to be. But this was different. I don't know what confusion was going on in my household. I'm sure there was much focusing on trying to get these good grades in these pre-law classes. At the time, I was um, on the dean's list. Like I was doing really good. And when I went into class, the campus officer came. And uh, my sister's best friend came with the campus officer. We were asked to step outside and we were told my mom was in a really bad car accident. Just come. She's in a bad car accident. Just come. We go to this place. It's Rice Ranch Road. Lots of gnarly accidents have happened there. And I didn't really get to break. I had to go and face that scenario and my mom was dead. And I had to listen to the investigative officer. Thank God I was calm enough to be able to listen 
And I had to hear and I asked him, he's like, are you sure you can handle this? I said, I have to know everything. So I found out how she died, the time scenarios of when people arrived. Later, I got in care of some of her things, including her phone. I had to read these messages from a man that she was exposed to. My mom was always wanting love here in this world. And so I read these messages and I got kindled up with this extreme anger because this man that she was giving some kind of intention towards spoke these really heinous things about her mostly generalizing women. But reading that was like, wait a minute. This is what my mom read before she died. And she went to help her friends. And my mom was that kind of woman. She would do anything for anybody. And she was always helping her friends. Didn't matter what it cost her. No one else was hurt in this car accident. But she died pretty much was unconscious on impact. My little brother, who is 34 years old, is in the hospital right now. He keeps having seizures. He's made some impeccably damaging choices in life. I don't know if he will survive. I don't know. I got to see him because my sister helped sneak me into the hospital. They have protocol now, thank you COVID, that one person is allowed for the entire designation of the stay of the patient. One person. This is his third time in four and a half weeks being in the hospital. He's type two diabetic at 34 years old, just turned 34 on the 15th of this month. I don't know a lot of answers to life. I will say that the most valiant thing I could attest to be true is that love is the greatest thing that we all have and we definitely don't value it the way we should. Uh, I don't even know what to say. That's... um. How do you how do you go through life? How do you go through each day knowing that your brother is in the position that he's in? I had a dream several weeks ago about him and my other baby brother. And they were together and they were walking with storms all around them in a plowed field. He ended up in the hospital probably about four weeks ago because he passed out at the wheel of his vehicle. Luckily, he was in a residential area and there wasn't too much damage and he got into the hospital. Outside of that, I wanted him to come stay with me and I wanted to help him in whatever way and he wouldn't stay. And what I had to come to terms with is thank God for faith. I keep 
clinging to the faith that no matter what, that Jesus is talking to him. That if he is to leave this life at such a young age, he's a baby, he's so young, in the way that he might go, that he will be in an eternal kingdom with all the people that love him, we can't protect people from their choices here in this world. I have to have faith that God is so merciful that he is going to. We all have free will, right? And that's imparted to us. And it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, which is the reason why I like to talk about structure so much on this channel because although structure isn't the end-all, be-all, structure is a good thing it can be a good thing it can be a bad thing to some degree if you're if you take it to the obsessive level like I do <laughs> and we were talking off mic about the way that I am in my house with my um, obsessive cleanliness etc that I don't like to have but it's just something that's kind of you know propagated over the months that I've been here um, but the structure is something that if you don't have it as a human, your brain sees it as somewhat chaotic and it your brain is constantly trying to get back to order. If you don't have order in your life, it tries to seek order, it tries to seek because it sees comfort in that. And comfort is something that's not stressful. It's not imposing any stressful demands on your on your system, on your psyche. So your brain seeks order for that reason. But with that comes you making choices. And there are choices to be made in everyday life. And sometimes we go along with temptation too often and things that are of the hedonistic value and we often we, we often kind of discard the things that make us ultimately better because they're harder they're challenging even if it is to say no to nut butter <laughs> eating a whole tub of nut butter like look I know that's hard to not do that shit it's hard to not eat Jiffy the whole jar. I know. But sometimes you just have to say, no, put the spoon down. That's on the, you know, that's on the, com the, the comedial end. Is that a word? I don't know. Comical end. Okay. But there are real life temptresses, temptresses. Oh, God, help me today. I am fucking losing it, dude. <laughs> so there are real life temptations <laughs> that plague us, plague me, plague you. And some 
some are more obviously, um, some are more tumultuous than others, like alcohol, drugs, etc. But food can be too, especially yeah. if you eat yourself like into oblivion every day because you're you don't know how to combat the stress or the depression that you're going through currently. And so that's a real life. That's something that you need to really contend with. I mean, that's real. But ultimately, if you have a structure and you have boundaries or guardrails, so to speak, that you stay within like a ping pong ball, because realistically, you're a ping pong ball and you're getting hit in different directions and, and they daze you and sometimes when you get hit and you don't really know where to go after that. And it, so if you have structure, you can allow yourself to get hit, knocked off course, but then get right back on course. Mm. And that's where structure shines. Structure is not all bad. No. Because at the end of the day, like you're saying, it's about choices or trade-offs or sometimes both. And how you navigate that is going to be directly indicative of where you end up in life. Absolutely. And life is precious. It really is. It's challenging, but it's such a precious blessing to be alive, like to have the soul in you. It is. But how do you, how do you realize that every day? Does it start with just giving thanks, being grateful? I think gratitude is a huge element of it and seeing the things around you and then recognizing your differences and not just personification differences, but experiential differences. Like it's okay to not have it all figured out. It's okay to have it figured out. It's okay to love the air you breathe and see the birds flying and think, wow, like that is the most incredible thing. I can't understand it. How are they able to do that? But I'm in awe of it. I mean, at the root, the way I find joy in almost everything is literally that I cannot comprehend how this whole thing is, how it works how time and place and circumstance as Ecclesiastes would say happens to all of us. But I again, pin that faith card that my creator knows what are the odds? I mean, the grad was very popular, but what are the odds that in that time and place meeting up with you and by the way, whatever his own, um, you know, distractions were at his age, he's gorgeous, just like he is now. And freaking, you were the epitome of this desire I had in a whole other human being. And then it came into my life and I was like, oh, God planned this. <laughs> this is what God planned. And you know, I was always willing to let go. That is something that I actually equate as a gift because as there are people in this world all over that have some dire circumstances that they're facing, the ability to let go in this world, to not 
grab and hold on to and try to restrain there's a certain beauty there you know you weren't mine to try to hold on to and to capture you were another person to enjoy to appreciate I can tell you things about those adolescent years that I was like what Mike Jones who like who's Mike (laughs) Mike Jones Jones. (laughs) what is this rap that you like because at the time I wasn't even as far inundated in my own personal rapping I really wasn't I liked music of all different kinds had certain artists that I really upheld but those things I found intriguing I did I found that intriguing and how things align and again back to that precious gift of life is just to be thankful that we even have it there's so many people that don't it's gone yeah and it's and i often wonder why why is it gone for them like what did they i know people that have messed up way worse than them and they're not gone why are they gone they could have definitely had an impact on this planet so why did God choose to take them? Hmm. And that opens up a whole other book of questions that we'll probably get into in another podcast. But the fact is, I can't explain it. You can't explain it. And I guess we just have to be good with that because there's a lot more to this life, to our brain, to our to this dimension that we don't understand. And I don't think anybody truly understands even the neuroscientists. And I just don't, there's so much to this. We're, we're uncovering new material every single day. New research is being done every single day. And it's just, it's, it's mind boggling to say the least. But that's what keeps us growing as a culture, as a civilization. We keep trying to learn new things. We keep trying to, I guess, ask or answer the questions that probably shouldn't be answered. But as humans, we want to know. And and we're, some of us are fixers by nature. You know, we want, we're solution finders. And we want to find out why this happened the way it did. Um, But... You know, overall, I think that we, the conversation of, of not knowing and having faith, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, I, I'm very, I'm Christian oriented, Christian minded. I have my questions like anybody does. But I don't let that skew the 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 overarching theme of my life, which is I believe in God and that's it. And if there's shit that I can't explain and you can particularly explain it through, I don't know, psychedelics or uh, neuroscience or what have you. Okay. Just let me be then in my fog about whatever Christianity is to you 
Let me be with my blinders on, as you would say. Let me have my blinders. I kind of like my blinders because if anything, if nothing more, they give me structure and they give me accordance and they give me something to answer to because I know if left with my own vices, I will let myself down hmm. and you will probably too. Oh, yes. I not you, do it alone. not you. I'm saying everybody <laughs> listening. <laughs> Brittany, it was an awesome talk, man. And listen, you are going to come back because we have a lot more to talk about. And um, for for the listeners, tell them how they can find you if they want to reach out to you. Okay, so my best way right now is a very simplistic way. West Coast Ghetto Barbie Doll. Look at that. West Coast Ghetto Barbie Doll. And I'd love to leave you guys with a very short wrap. Love it. Called Unboxable. Unrateable, my ghetto's undeniable. My lyrics are unwritable. Think of me when you hear lions roar. I'm knocking chicks like hit the floor. Unless she got a little more equipped with fancy repertoire. If not, chick, you could hit the door. There's too much faking. No room for forsaking. If victory was ours for the making, best bet it's ours for the taking. It can't last. It's too fast. Their upfront cash is highway robbery. Could never spark a rivalry. Most just aren't in my league. Damn, fire, fucking fire. I love it, Brittany. All right, guys, that's it. Thank you once again. Straight from the chest. Done.